we quickly turn our liberty into a liability when we try to flaunt it. Yes. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 8, 13, Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. That is what you call loving. You see, we live in the culture of, no, man, I got liberty. I got my rights. The Bible language, the, the Christian culture of Scripture is, I give up my rights. I may have the freedom, but I choose to let it go so that others can find the way. Hello to all our listening friends, and welcome back to the Way of Holiness podcast. This is Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell, and we're very excited to be back for another week. Excited about the topic today, because this is, quote, the Way of Holiness, Mm -hmm. and by default, that means we may have some stumbling blocks in the way from time to time. So... That is what we're going to talk about this week, stumbling blocks in the way. Yeah, it's amazing the way that road hazards kind of pop up and you can kind of forget about them or or maybe think that you do better by pretending that they're not there. But the reality is ignoring their presence doesn't help you. It just causes you to be a casualty. But acknowledging that they're there and knowing what to look for and knowing how you can clear the way for somebody else and take part in that is well worth the discussion and the thought necessary to get there. Well, before we jump off the cliff into this uh, cesspool of problems, <laughs> <laughs> all right. I uh, wanted to acknowledge that uh, we sure appreciate everybody that has been listening to our new podcast. This is our ninth episode. It's uh, the ninth week of the year. And really, I feel like this has been a very liberating and freeing approach to doing this. And just we've had some pretty consistent listening, and yeah. we're, we're thankful for that. It's been nice to to be able to see the results of kind of blending multiple audiences into just one streamlined source. It's, it's given a better a gauge of listenership, of, of involvement, and for us staying on this particular message, like instead of being pulled in this recording venue and then this one and it's been nice for me, especially, just to say, no, this is the train of thought that we're on for the week, and then be able to discuss off-air with some of our listeners. We're a smoothie. A We've smoothie. taken all the components and blended it together into a rich, creamy, bodybuilding beverage. Every now and then there's a little bit of chunkiness in there, but it's okay. It's for effect. That's right. The reason that is important, though, what you just said, and a life lesson or application that can be made to every listener is part of the way of holiness is shrinking your world. Mm -hmm. And that's another way of saying downsizing, condensing, getting into the one thing track of mind. And often one of our biggest hindrances, even to use the stumbling block word, some self-laid stumbling blocks that'll happen in our life is because we're trying to do too much. we're, We're trying to accomplish too many things and so we're doing nothing really well. And and really, that would be a reason that the enemy would lay stumbling blocks in our way. Oh, yeah. But I don't know. Let me just say it this way. It's sort of my way of introducing this. When we talked about how to do the, uh, or what we would do this week with the podcast, I asked you your thoughts. You actually brought this idea to the table based upon some teaching that you recently did. 
And so I know you, you've got some things you brought that you're going to share. And it was on the word of stumbling blocks or mm-hmm. the idea of stumbling blocks. But immediately what came to my mind were three things. Just these three words just came to my mind. Snares, sabotage, and stumbling blocks. What gets in our way on the way of holiness? Mm. And that's the, the thought I had. But with snares, I think of the enemy. Yeah, The enemy sets snares for us. Um, with sabotage, it's our flesh. Our flesh will undermine our, in, our good heart intentions. But stumbling blocks are often associated with things other people do in our life, mm-hmm. particularly other believers. Yep. And, of course, we can do it for them. And so that's the interesting dynamic of stumbling blocks. It's one of those things that, yes, the enemy can get behind it, get in it, use it, and it does, as I would like to share at some point here in a, in a little bit, it does have a connection to the idea of snares, so the enemy is involved, but it's interesting to me that the the usual suspects behind the stumbling blocks are our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, and, and I think what I'm hearing, the important distinction is snares a lot of times, rather the overwhelming majority of time, like those are like the evil vices, the things that draw us down a wicked path. Stumbling blocks many times are not with any kind of malicious intention. It's it's not people that are setting out to destroy us or trip us up. It's people being people. Broken people being fallen broken people with no intention of how hey, yeah, I'm ruining somebody else's life or I'm making somebody else's life difficult. It's more like a self-focus of I'm just being me. I'm sorry if other people are getting taken out and we've got to retrain in that process to you know our life really is more about than just us well i know you're going to introduce this officially with giving us a text on on the uh, subject but i believe in the chapter you're about to read from i think yes if you go back i'm looking at my scriptures here but if you go back up to romans 14 verse 10 to the point you were just making but why dost thou judge thy brother or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? And see, there's two sides of that coin right there. There's the side that says, you're wrong. That's the judging side. You're wrong. You don't have the right to do that. You're in sin because you're not meeting the standard that mm-hmm. I've set. Or to set aside the brother and say, I don't even think, well, pff, I don't think about them. It's yep. my life with Jesus. If they don't like it, too bad, which is what you were just referring to. So there can be... Maybe not always maliciousness, though that can exist, but there certainly is some neglect in our own spiritual condition when we either judge our brother or set him at naught, and, and the end result of that is stumbling blocks that are laid. Absolutely. So why don't you introduce where this started with you and give us the background the background of it, and we'll move forward. So it started with me. I had the opportunity this past Sunday to fill the pulpit, and my heart was drawn to actually verse 19 of chapter 14, which says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. And the word edify, it's really dealing with, it's a building term. You know, to come in and to strengthen, to support, to build up. You know, one of our theme verses at the church a couple of years ago was, We are God's building. Same word translated edify as building in that verse. So this this idea of we have a responsibility to come in and to focus our lives on building, strengthening, establishing one another 
in the work that God has respectively called all of us to. And so it's an intentional work that we've got to do. But one of the things that hinders our ability to edify, we see back in verse number 13. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Now in that Sunday morning uh, sermon, I didn't really dig into verse 13 because the the point of emphasis was in verse 19, but the way that we do our order of service is we have Sunday school immediately following. And wouldn't you know it, just so happened to be my week to teach. And so I brought verse 13 to our Sunday school class discussion and said, All right, we, need to, we need to deep dive into some of these stumbling blocks. We need to evaluate this because if we have the responsibility, and really it starts here in our group. We're in the same age, stage of life brackets. By and large, most of us have the most in common, those type of things. We've got to be personally involved in one another to help build one another up. But we also need to know what we need to be looking out for to keep from tripping one another up, too, and have the honesty and the support system to say, hey, I acknowledge in my life this is a stumbling block. Because a lot of times I think there are things that I struggle with that maybe somebody else, it's not a struggle for them, and so they're not even aware of how their action may be having a negative impact on me. But having those kind of open and honest conversations and care enough about one another to say, look, I'm not going to use your stumbling block against you to judge you as anything other than a fellow brother or sister on the way of Jesus. And how can we now clear the path for each each other and to do it in a loving, caring type way? I think key passages that listeners could mark down if they want to look at some of these New Testament teachings would be Romans 14. And I was checking my notes. I think 1 Corinthians 8, Paul deals with the considering one another and not putting stumbling blocks. And then a very important passage is what Jesus says in Matthew 18. And I'll come back to that, but just just some awareness. But in Matthew 18, verse 1 through 7, that's that encounter with the, the parents bringing the children and all the things Jesus says there. Mm-hmm. Very important passages in understanding how God views our laying stumbling blocks, especially in front of children. Yes. Or, as to Paul's language, the the other the weaker brother, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, so I don't know if you did the like a word study through the scriptures or any of that when you were preparing to teach and preach on those things, but I, I immediately went to okay, so where are the what are the scriptures about stumbling blocks? And stumbling blocks an interesting word. In the little bit of looking idea, it seems to be historically connected to, I mean, in whether it's philosophies or literary works or whatever, it's it goes back its origin in scripture. So it's like a scriptural Hebrew thing. Well, Leviticus 19.14, the, the, the Lord said to the people, Thou shalt not curse the deaf. Just think about what it was just said. Thou shalt not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shalt fear thy God. I am the Lord. Now, our, our main thought or part there is the not to put a stumbling block before the blind. But to basically, you know, cursing the deaf, putting the stumbling block before the blind, what you're, what you're doing is you're, you're engaging them in a way that they are defenseless. Mm-hmm. They have no way to appropriate, appropriately re- respond to that or, or defend themselves. Isaiah 57, 14, and shall say, cast ye up, cast ye up, prepare the way, 
take up the stumbling block out of the way of my people. So as I read those two passages, where it's used very early in the scriptures, literally a stumbling block is something that is placed in the way as an obstruction to progress. So whether it causes you to fall or whether it just causes you to stop. Mm-hmm. And, and those are ways that we should think about stumbling blocks and how they affect our brothers. Going back to the text you gave in Romans 14, 13, we're not to judge one another anymore, but we are to judge or approve or reprove or look at ourselves and make sure that we are not putting stumbling blocks or occasions to fall in our brother's way. So usually there's that language of the weak brother and the strong brother. And it's interesting, and it may be in 1 Corinthians 8 where Paul uses that, but he he kind of implies or we get the impression, uh, we think sometimes, well, the stronger person is the one that, you know, has all the convictions. You know, they they dress right, spit white, and don't smoke, drink, or chew, or run with those that do. But Paul seems to imply the stronger brother is actually the one that isn't bothered by all that. Yeah, It's like, uh, okay, that's great, buddy. Glad you're living that way. But because they have entered into a liberty in Christ that allows them to be free of all that religious bondage and trapping. Yet, he calls on that stronger brother to remember that the weaker brother who has to stay you know, is really kind of kept safe and secure by all those really tight standards of, you know, I'm not going to go eat at a restaurant where they serve alcohol. Okay, just first thing comes off the top of my mind. I'm not going to do that. So the stronger brother who doesn't have a problem eating at a restaurant where they serve alcohol is not going to invite that weaker brother to go, let's go out and eat. Let's, hey, let's go over to whatever. Applebee's, yeah. yeah. Whatever place there is in your location. Now, if you don't know, obviously you don't know, but if you know, right. that's what Paul's talking about. It's always to consider the other, the weak, consider the weaker brother. And so you may have some kind of personal preferences or standards that you know that it's okay for you to do this. Like, literally, I don't mean we just, like, excuse ourselves. Right. Like, well, I don't have a conviction about that. No, we actually know I have the liberty in Christ before God, I am at total peace with this, but I also know my brothers over here, they're not going to have that peace. Well, I need to keep my faith to myself. Is that not at the end of this chapter? Yes, verse 22. Verse 22. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Yes, and the last part, even verse 23, he that doubteth is damned if he eat because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So mm-hmm. keeping that in the context, if I then inv- kind of invoke these guys, hey, it's all right, guys, I got liberty in Jesus to do this. Come over and join me in it. And they come, but it's a violation of their conscience. They're not doing it in faith. Right. I have now brought them into sin. I have cast a stumbling block before them. And by the way, I have also sinned. Yes, So you mentioned something that is a crucial point that is often overlooked by the the judge-me-not crowd. And it's really what the first nine to ten verses in Romans 14 talks about. We don't judge one another as in comparing ourselves to one another like, oh, okay, well, I'm more godly than he is. I'm not as wicked as him. I might not be as good as them, but that's not what we are to do. But we are to compare ourselves to Christ. Jesus is our standard. So everything that I do in my life 
I have to take and compare it next to the life of Jesus. Now, that is an intimidating thing to do. It's a convicting thing because when we do that, we actually find a lot of stuff that we don't have a conviction about and we had the liberty to do. And all of a sudden we realize, I really don't need to be doing that. It might not technically be a sin, but it sure ain't helping me in my walk with Jesus. But as we go along that and we enter into what you're saying, that that liberty, that, that strength of liberty to say, no, it, it's okay, I can do this. I'm comparing my standard to Jesus. Now I'm able to look around and examine, okay, I might have the liberty to do this, but I, I don't I don't want to I don't want to encroach. I don't want to hurt somebody else's growth progress. I want to help them get to where I'm at. I want to to set the right example. And I think of what Paul said. Again, the verses coming to my mind, I can't remember the exact reference, but where he says, I have become all things to all men, that I might win some. And I know he's talking in a lot of ways about a cultural context. You know, when I'm with the Gentiles, I don't expect them to act like the Israelites and vice versa. When I'm with the Israelites, I don't expect them to conduct themselves as the Gentiles. But it's it's the same root thing. I'm not going to be one way with a group of people that is going to cause a disturbance. If If I'm with... The Israelites, I'm not going to conduct myself in the freedom of the Gentiles because I want them to hear the message of the gospel. I want them to see Jesus in me. That's more important to me than the quote-unquote freedom that I have in Christ to do whatever it is that I feel like I want to do. We quickly turn our liberty into a liability when we try to, and this was one of the key points I wanted to bring out, but when we flaunt it. Yes. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 8, 13, Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. That is what you call loving. Mm-hmm. You see, we live in the culture of, no, man, I got liberty. I got my rights. Yep. The Bible language, the, the, the Christian culture of Scripture is, I give up my rights. I may have the freedom but I choose to let it go so that others can find the way. Mm-hmm. That is very countercultural and counterintuitive. It is very much Sermon on the Mount type stuff. Now, I think since these are hindrances to the way, stumbling blocks, by default they must be anti-way of holiness. Yeah. Right? So when I think about that, I think of our theme. You know, slow your pace, shrink your world, shepherd your heart. So stumbling blocks will hit us in one or all of those categories. And we don't, you know, I'm not going to take the time to flesh that out, but it is a fault. It would be a fault to think of the different stumbling blocks and how they affect those three categories in our life. But again, the idea here is not just to think about ourselves and and like what are stumbling blocks for me, but it's almost even more so to think about the stumbling blocks I'm setting before others. Yes. Now, Again, I don't know how much you did looking at the, the words, but I found the the Greek words to be very interesting. So first of all, it's the word proskomi, P-R-O-S-K-O-M-M-E. I'm sure that's not said just exactly like that, proskomi, but it means a stub. So I immediately was thinking about backpacking and being on trails and how easy it is when you're on a trail, if you're not walking circumspectly, Yeah. To have your toe catch a either a root or a rock that is sticking up in the way. And here's the point about that. 
They are not big. If they were big, we would never stumble over them. Yeah. And that's so critical to understanding the stumbling block. It's not big things. It's not, you know what? I'm going to invite everybody over to my house to watch porn tonight. Yeah. Right? We're going to have a kegger over at my house and and maybe do a little hash. I don't, is hash? It's a drug term. I don't know. <laughs> it sounds Anyway, it's not that. That's not the stumbling blocks. Yep. The stumbling blocks are the little things that if we're not walking circumspectly, they cause our brother to stumble. You can typically you can typically tell them when you're talking it out and you hear somebody say, "What's the big deal? Why why make such a big deal about that?" Mm. That's a great mm-hmm. indicator that we're probably talking about a stumbling block because it's just big enough to be a problem, but not big enough to warrant our full attention. Yeah. I, an example that came into my mind earlier when you were talking would be in the category of music. Yes. Uh, you know, I have to be extremely careful. I do not believe that someone who is... Li- I'm going to use country music because that's kind of more my background from my teen years. I think there's... You cannot say that because a person listens to country music that they're in sin. Right. Okay? But I know for me, I have to be very careful about that. I have experience with getting going back to listening to it and getting pulled further than I intended to go, where I'm listening to things that actually ultimately felt like a vexation of my soul. So I, I don't judge my brother in that. And and at the same time, I think you have to consider if you're the one that feels the liberty of, well, I don't have a problem with listening to country music. Well, think about the people that you might invite to ride with you. You know, that are in your car or you bring to your house. He's like, well, it's my house. Yeah. Well, then if you're not going to consider, don't invite me to your house. Yes. See, this is such a critical component in being proactive and removing stumbling blocks from our brother is that we actually have to know our brother. Ooh. We have we have to be very personal. That's very good. Very good. Very good point. Because one of the things that I mentioned in our Sunday school gathering was there are things that are a stumbling block for me that you may not think of because I know my past. And I know, all right, if I engage in this or if I allow this in, I know the end of that road. And so they serve as triggers and they get me on that path. And so I don't do these things, not because these things are wicked and wrong, but I know they lead me down a path that I don't want to go down. And so as I have trusted brothers and sisters that know me and that know a little bit of my story, well, they know, okay, yeah, well, I'm, I'm not going to have him over here and do that. You know, you mentioned music is a huge one. You mentioned country music. You know, I had more of like an 80s flair type music background. But, see, my story was is... country music in the 80s? Yeah, yeah <laughs> but, you know, typically when people say 80s music, they're not talking about 80s country. What you're talking about is all the theme songs from the movies. Yes, and but, see, my, my journey is... It's different. Ah, journey. I see what you did there. That was a big one. Because I grew up very early on, you know, if it's not amazing grace, it's wicked. It's wrong. And by the time that I got to my latter teen years, our family was going through a transition, and we started examining, like, well, this is actually kind of hypocritical because we're using, quote-unquote, sacred music, but we're just using it as entertainment because it's got a good sound to it. It's got a good twang. It's got tight harmonies. Really not focused on God. So I've actually cheapened my worship music by making it my entertainment music. So I swung really far the other direction and went very heavy secular music. 
over the course of the last few years, I have realized I know what was going on in my heart and soul when I was very heavily secular music listening. I know the thoughts that I entertained. I know I knew the stuff that I was dealing with. And so I realized, okay, it may not be necessarily sinful, but it's definitely not expedient. It's not good for me. And so therefore, I'm going to put more of a heavier emphasis on worship music because that's where I want to choose my mind to, to stay. I'm not going to tell anybody they're wicked or wrong for whatever their music choices is, but I know that's a personal decision that I had to come to for me. So to take that illustration, you know, you mentioned riding in the car with somebody. As I have trusted people that are with me that know a little bit of my background, they don't come up to me and ask me, hey, have you heard so-and-so's new song? Oh, man, have you heard that? Because that's a stumbling block. That would be something that's going to pull me back into a path that I don't want to go down. Now, I'm far enough along with it that I'm, I'm secure enough to stay. Nah, you know what? I, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. I don't really listen to that kind of stuff, but I'm glad you enjoy it. But for some people, that's a major stumbling block. And I have major stumbling blocks. But we have to really know one another and get engaged on a personal level to be able to know what we're looking out for. There's another Greek word that's used in the New Testament for this uh, idea of stumbling or stumbling block and it's it's probably it, it it does get used for stumbling block i think maybe romans 9 or somewhere but romans 11 but uh but more often it's translated as an offense but it's the word scandalon s k a n d a l o n and you can kind of see where we're going to get an english word out of that but it literally it just means an or, or, or for example let's go back to the text in Romans 14, 13, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall. A different word. The first word is proskomi, stumbling block. The second word is scandalon, the uh, occasion to fall. And that's what it means. Uh, John uses it in 1 John 2, 10. He that loveth his brother. There's that thing about knowing each other, and, and it, this is about love abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. If you love your brother, you're not going around setting up stumbling blocks. Yes. You're not going to have protruding stubs for them to step over. Now, this is the Matthew 18 reference I wanted to make. Jesus says in Matthew 18, after they bring the children to him, and he says, suffer the little children to come, he says in verse 6 and 7, but whoso shall offend, there's the word, one of these little ones which believeth, believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. It's going to happen, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. So you get a sense there that Jesus takes this very serious, especially when you put it in front of the children. Mm -hmm. So think about right there. One of the areas we're most guilty of this has been with our children. What do we put in front of our children that teaches them this is all right? And often it's not because we have had true liberty in Christ. It's because we didn't really actually have a walk with Jesus that brought conviction as it should have. Yep. But either way, we need to understand that we're not excused for causing occasions of offense and stumbling. And so we have to take it serious. That word, by the way, uh, had the idea behind it of like a trap stick. So think about a, this is where it connects to the word snare. So like an, an old trap that someone would set up. Think about when Barney 
called the pheasant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big old that big old snare. But when the bird or the animal hits that stick and the trap falls on them, so it's it's that idea. It's hitting that trap stick which causes the fall to happen. And so, of course, scandalon, we get our English word scandal or scandalize. And you hear that in the the news and media all the time now about the scandals going on. It's going on in, you know, there's been church scandals yep. going on. Well, to scandalize somebody is to bring them into a place where you are you are trying to lead them into stumbling or doing something that causes them to fall or would cause them to lose faith in the Lord. Kind of like what the Pharisees were doing to Jesus on multiple occasions. They were trying. Trying to, trying to set that up for the fall. And it's it's what Peter did. When, G, when Peter says to Jesus, after Jesus says, hey, I'm about to be crucified, and Peter says, never, Lord, I'll not let that happen. Yep. That literally was Peter putting a stumbling block in front of Christ to which Jesus then rebuked the Satan that was coming out of Peter and and dealt with it then and there. But it, it definitely helps us understand more of the idea behind this. Now, here's the big thing I noticed as I was looking at the idea of stumbling blocks. It seems to me that, biblically speaking, stumbling blocks are commonly presented as idols of the heart. Take, for example, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 14 has quite a bit to say about stumbling blocks. Listen to this. Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of at all by them? Hmm. Verse 4, the next verse. Therefore speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that setteth up his idols in his heart and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and come to the prophet... I, the Lord, will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols. Do you think God takes it serious? Absolutely. we got Old Testament, New Testament. And by the way, he, his connection here is, is that you're doing this and then coming to church acting like, oh, yeah, I'm here to pray. I'm here to, I'm here to talk to the preacher and, and get that word. And we have literally tripped over stuff the whole way to church. We've tripped all the way here and back. <laughs> yeah. Verse 7 of the same chapter. For every one of the house of Israel or of the stranger that sojourneth in Israel, which separateth himself from me and setteth up his idols in his heart and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and cometh to a prophet. <laughs> I like how it just, like this is great preaching, right? I'm going to say it, then I'm going to say it again and add something to it, then I'm going to say it again and add something else to it. He says, uh, and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and cometh to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me. I, the Lord, will answer him by myself. So, when I see that, and I think about the connection of idols as stumbling blocks, and there are other passages we'll see this, but the question comes, how do we go about placing those stumbling blocks? That's the what went into my, my mind. How do I then... I need to be aware of this, but how do I place the stumbling blocks? So we've already kind of laid out what they are, and, and we need to put maybe some more examples to it. But I, just looking at some verses, wrote down three ways I see those stumbling blocks coming. But I also want to default to your Are you thoughts. framing the question on how we place stumbling blocks in front of ourselves, like kind of what would the context there in Ezekiel, or how we place them in the life of others? Actually, and that's a good question. I think what I'm saying here, 
as I'm hearing you ask the question is, and I, and reading back over this, I think what I'm saying is they're almost synonymous. Like I almost, by putting the stumbling block before my brother, have placed a stumbling block in my own life. And and that's what God's word there in Ezekiel seems to be implying too. Okay. Yeah. That you and, and really any time go back to Leviticus 19. If I put a stumbling block in front of a blind person, I have just placed a stumbling block in my own life. Yeah. And and go all the way to Paul and what he's teaching here. I think they are synonymous, and it's maybe helpful for us to see it that way. I cannot put this tripping thing in front of my brother without also tripping up my own soul. Well, because again, you go to other passages in the New Testament where we're talking about we're members together, we're one body. Well, if I'm a hand and I drop something and cause the foot to trip, well, the whole body's going down, the whole progress. And even the context of Romans 14, of this edifying one another and building up and strengthening, if I'm causing somebody to trip, it's going to to hurt me as well. So, yeah, you're right. That's definitely a, It's definitely synonymous, and we've got to look at it that way because it does. It gets us out of the mentality of being so self-focused, so my life, my way, my goals, my visions, my dreams, and brings me into true community. I'm in this together. We either all prosper or we all suffer. And so we got to do what's necessary to make sure that we alleviate as much self-inflicted suffering as possible. Well, as I consider the biblical presentation of stumbling blocks being idols, the first thing that I made a note of on how we can actually do this, how, how, how I actually will place a stumbling block in front of my brother, we do it when we make anything greater than God in the eyes of our brethren. Mm-hmm. If I am with my brothers and all I have to offer is my excitement about anything in this world to the neglect of bringing God and Christ to them, I, you might as well consider that a stumbling block because what I am teaching them is that while we are here in the name of Jesus, quote, quote, what really brings life is fill in the blank. Yeah, and we've done a lot of talking about what some of those fill in the blanks are, and it's probably worth rehashing them a little bit again, but I think it's it's safe to say, too, just go about and think, what were your conversations at your last corporate worship gathering? What did you talk about with the people that you were around? What did you hear being talked about around you? Those are good trigger points with idols. But, man, how easy is it for even our our families to fill in that blank right there? You know, we talk about the things that we did, the activities that we did, the fun that we had, and... You know, hey, I want to show you 850 pictures of my children, my grandchildren. Then we couple that with Little League and our favorite sports team and, you know, all of the other things that we're doing. The other, I'm not good at quick math, but let's just say there's 24 hours a day and we spend four hours a week at church. That's an awful lot of hours that we spend doing other things. And so if while we're together, we're talking about how we invested all of those other hours in everything except for this is how my life grew with the Lord. That principle was really what got me to the point personally of having to self-evaluate how I invest the 24 hours of a day that I have. Because I was always somebody that would say, of course Jesus is important to me. Of course I love Jesus above all else. But when I really had to start taking inventory of 
what am I known for? You know, what, what do people what do people know me as? Wow, people know that I'm a Packers fan. Wow, people know that, you know, I I like playing video games. People know that I, you know, watched a lot of Star Wars movies. Oh, people know boom, 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 this, that, and the other. And how far down the list is it before and he's a follower of Jesus? And that's where I really had to come from. Man, this is hard. Well, a lot of that is because we have communally generated a a form of Christianity in which Christ doesn't even have to be a part of it. Yeah. Like I don't of course I'm gonna think about you're a Packers fan and this, this and this and this and you worked for UPS and because I know you love Jesus, that's a given. Right. And we all just kind of have lived in this little world where, oh well of course we know God's important. We don't have to talk about that. Yeah, there's a problem there. I go back even as Bunch we're t- tripping. There's a lot of tripping a lot going of tripping. on. <laughs> I go back to even something I read last week, and the guy was talking about you know how we say we're looking forward to heaven, and you know I can't wait to spend eternity in heaven. And he said, but you want to gauge if your love for God is really what it needs to be. Think about heaven and think about if you could have, you know, the streets of gold, the walls of jasper, paradise to the extent. And have all of your friends, all of your family, no sin, no wickedness. I mean, everything is just perfect. But Jesus wasn't there. Would you be okay in that kind of an eternity? And when I read that, I thought, man, there's a big part of me that would be okay with that. And there was conviction that came because how on earth, as somebody that is on the way of Jesus, as somebody that has experienced such great redemption, how could any part of me be satisfied not having my Redeemer right there? That is a great alarm bell type thing of, all right, it's time to start getting priorities and focus. There's nothing wrong with living life and enjoying all these things that you have mentioned. You know, the the Packers, the Little League, the whatever. The problem is not in doing those things or those things being a part of your life. It's the doing of those things and those things being your life to the neglect of yes. God and God not being at the center of it. Yes. So I my mind will frequently go back to Psalm 10 and verse 4. There's a description of the wicked. And it says, God is not in all his thoughts. Now, I just take that verse and I say, "Whoa. What is wickedness?" And we could have this long list of vile activities people could do, but scripture says a definition of the wicked is it is someone in whom God is not in all their thoughts. Yep. And I know your mind may go to as a listener, it's like, oh, that's a, I can't possibly have God in all my thoughts. I know that, and God knows that. But it's about having a life in which God is not ever very far from your thoughts because he is the center of everything for you. D.L. Moody said this, Many a professing Christian is a stumbling block because his worship is divided. On Sunday, he worships God. On weekdays, God has little or no place in his thoughts. Wow. So it's not new. It's common. It's a common impediment that we all have to face, and we always have, but we have to work on that. How do we get God in more and more of our thoughts? How do we bring our lives into a place where God is the center of everything? Now, I think we've already talked about this one a little bit, but maybe there's something that we need to add to it. But one way we definitely lay a stumbling block, 
as has been discussed, is if we flaunt our liberty in Christ before others. This is going to be a stumbling block to them, and it's going to be a sin in our life. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Again, I know we've kind of fleshed that one out. Any other thoughts on that idea that, that you had or that tied into what you were teaching? Yeah, I think it's just important to remember that though we are strong when we have the liberty, I think a great sign of weakness is when we feel like we're strong. Like, in other words, if I if I am listening to this and I hear, oh, oh yeah, well, all right, I must be a pretty strong Christian because I've got great liberty, pretty good chance that we've still got a lot of weakness in us because true strength couples with humility. You cannot separate the two. So the stronger that I am in Christ, the more humble I am going to be in myself. And I think Though Paul had an unshakable confidence, in no way, shape, or form does he glory in his own strength. You you almost get the sense that Paul would be the first person to tell you, I'm weak. I'm, I'm nothing. All that I am is because of Jesus. And so being, being mindful about not flaunting our liberty, a great place for that to start is if I really truly am strong, this isn't a difficult thing for me to choose to deny myself. Because my strength comes from Christ, therefore I am filled with the love of Christ, therefore I am filled with the love for others. And so this is no great sacrifice for me to lay anything aside for the betterment of others. If I feel this conflict of, oh, but it's not fair, I shouldn't have to give up my liberty for somebody else. You know, why should I have to suffer because I'm stronger and they're weaker? We really need to reevaluate because we're probably not as strong as we think we are. And back to Romans 14.10, why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? It's not about law. It's about love. Yeah. So it's not about what's fair. It's about what's right. Yes. And, and love is the, the motive here. Now, let me, let me give you this one. This was my last. I had wrote down these three different ways I thought we, we bring the stumbling block. But I don't know if you looked at this one or not. But the doctrine of Balaam. This was an issue in the church of Pergamos. Mm -hmm. Revelation 2.14. After Jesus speaks to the church of Pergamos, he says, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. And then he explains it. To eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Now, let's talk a little bit about the literal act of eating because that is at the center of Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8. That was a big issue yes. in the early church because I guess a lot of it was you had the Jews with very strict dietary law that was part of their custom and way of life, and then you had these... Gentile people who had no sense of that, and then you had all the 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 Greco-Roman gods, you know, and so everything was offered to a god in some way or fashion, and now all of a sudden, how do we eat all this stuff when our culture and our tradition does this with it? And, and there was a lot of questions centered around that. You know, we still throw stumbling blocks in front of one another with, with eating today. For example, I don't want this to sound petty or pet peevish 
Maybe pet peevish is okay, but not petty. But just as an example, I can't tell you, people, people generally know that I try. Far from perfectly, but I try to, to eat decently, and, and I make plenty of mistakes for those who don't know that. Let me just tell you, that's a gross understatement to you try to eat decent. Well, maybe I say it that way because I genuinely know that I don't live up to my own standards a lot. That may be true, but to everybody else's metrics, you eat well. Well, that being said, <laughs> and thank you, that being said, I, I if I had five bucks for every time over the last 30 years someone has approached me with, oh, go ahead, try one of these. Yeah, Go ahead. What's going to hurt you? It's a special occasion. Now, I know that will sound petty when I say that, but if you just think about the principle, think about the principle of if you know that I'm not someone who is, who's into that, but you come and bring it and put it in front of me and try to tempt me, it's a little weird because I'm at the place where, and have been for a long time, I was like, nah, it's not my thing. I mean, this just happened last weekend. There were two pound cakes. There's this cream cheese pound cake and this other one that has some kind of, I mean, and they look great. Like, yeah. But, oh, you need to try some of this. The woman that made this, it, she's just a fantastic cook. And I said, nah, it's all right. You know, cake's not really my thing. But, I mean, that's a little bit different because it wasn't somebody shoving it in front of me. But just think about the reverse principle there. Why do people do that? So we're kind of a reverse principle on this. But why do people try to tempt you to do the thing that they know you don't want to do in that type of situation? Because if you do it, it justifies them doing it. Yes. And it's not really very thoughtful or loving to try to turn my conviction or standard against me to make you feel better (laughs) so i've never thought of it through this light before and as you're describing it this is the scenario that i that i see we have taught our children for generations if somebody comes up to you and offers you drugs or alcohol or cigarettes they're going to try to talk you into it and they're going to try to say ah one won't hurt but no alcoholic ever became an alcoholic with just the first, or when it was every alcoholic became an alcoholic with the first sip or something. Whatever the catchy little phrase is, it always takes one. You know, you'd never become, if you wouldn't have taken the first one, if you wouldn't have smoked the first joint, if you wouldn't have taken the first snort. Yeah, and hash the first hash. Yeah, if you wouldn't have done it the first time. No, that principle is, I'm not bashing that. That's obviously true. But it's like we throw that logic out the window with everything you're describing of, it's all right to do this once. Well, okay, is it okay for me to go and shoot heroin once? Well, no, 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 no. Well, I'm trying to tell you that I don't want to do this. This is not, I don't go for that sort of thing. But you're now asking me to vex my conscience in much the same way that if somebody comes up and offers me to snort a cocaine, is going to vex my conscience as well. Yeah, but brother, that's a sin. Well, we go to the end of Romans 14. It's the exact same thing. At the principle of truth, it is the same thing. And that's what we have to view all this in. Now, I know, and let me just go ahead and state, the reverse is also true. If I go around turning my nose up at the people that's, that are having cake, that's a problem. And look, I've been guilty of that. Not, not intentionally, maliciously, like we were talking yep. about before, but I have had a history of, I can't believe you're you, going to sit there and eat because that. Because right I now. love you, telling you what's wrong with you eating that. <laughs> you just so, you just worked out, and you're going to ruin it by doing that. Yeah, I guess if you don't like yourself any more than well, that. Well, now wait a minute. That's a bad example because when I am in the mode of being your trainer, oh, I have okay. the responsibility right. to do that. <laughs> but yeah, it goes both ways. But it's learning how to be just. Hey, look, 
let's just be who we believe we are in Christ, and it takes that awkwardness out of it. Yeah. There are just things that are absolutely wrong. So that, just wanted to touch on the eating thing a little bit, but let's go back to, for, for just a couple minutes before we're done, what the doctrine of Balaam was. To eat things sacrificed unto idols, let's just call it idolatry, and to commit fornication. So fornication, harlotry, whoredom is an old classic word, right, that we don't use anymore. But Balaam, Balaam himself could not speak against the Israelites. He finally agreed to go because Balak's like, come on, come on, come on. I want you to cast a spell on these people. And as he went, God said no. Remember the whole yep. exchange with the donkey? The donkey. And so when he gets there, he can't do it. But he says, but I, look, I can't do it. But I'll tell you what. If you want to mess these people up, just get them to throw a party, get naked, and it's over. <laughs> you know? More maybe to the point is get them involved in basically casting aside some of their religious restraints, get them convinced that there's nothing wrong with this, bring in the women of the area, mix them in with the Canaanites and all the otherites, and trust me, it won't be long. You won't have a problem with these people. Did I just describe the Church of America today? Oh, man. I mean... Has Satan got in the ears and the minds of leaders, church oh, yes. leaders, who have said, ah, it's no big deal, you know? So here's the questions. What are we enjoying these days as entertainment? Because I hear this talked about a lot. People are vexing their souls with television. Yes. I don't just, I'm not talking about watching TV. I'm talking about what you're watching on TV. And I don't know all the stuff, but I hear enough of the stuff, and I hear it connected with the negative stuff enough to know that if a quarter of it's true, what are we doing? Listen, this I say this as an opportunity for public confession, but also to help take any stigma out there from a listener that may be hearing us talk and think, you know, we're throwing rocks at everybody else, look at how great we are. Because if there is one thing that I have been guilty of in my life in, in a stumbling block, it's this one right here. Oh, man, have you watched this movie? Well, no, I hadn't seen that one. Now, listen, it's got some stuff in it, but it's, it's not a lot. Well, I've reached a point now where if I have to speak that, I, I'm not, rec I'm not mm -hmm. recommended. I can't. But there was a big period in my life where I like, yeah, it would be better if they left some of that stuff out. But, you know, it's, it's funny. It's got a good storyline. Oh, it's got great action scene. Now, you kind of got to overlook some of that. That right there was a result of me tripping over the doctrine of Balaam and then casting Inviting that stumbling others. block out there as well. So this is not a look how great we are, just do it the way we are. It comes from that self-evaluation of, okay, I've been guilty of this. I need to fix myself, but now I need to be proactive in helping get other people out of the rut in the cycle as well. Yeah, so think about the ways we're, what we're using as entertainment. What really has the most of our attention, affection, and allegiance? Okay, yep. might as well just throw this one in there too. It's a hot political season, and this is going to consume people. Yes. People are going to be giving their attention, affection, and allegiance to their party, their candidate, to the neglect of loving God. Mm -hmm. But here's the catch. They'll do it in the name of God. 
And if that's not a violation of the commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, I don't know what is. What is the character and style of much of the American church now? That's a question to ask. Look at the Christian celebrity culture. Look at the loosened standards. And I don't mean the things that are easily identified by what you see on Sunday. Because what you see on Sunday is not always what actually is either side of the coin. Mm-hmm. Here's a question. What is our current relationship with the Bible? Hmm. With reading and hearing the Word of God. Go back to that Ezekiel passage. You, yeah, you're going you're gonna to set up the idols in your heart, the stumbling blocks in the way, Then you're going to come before me for prayer and to set before the prophet, the preacher, and you think I'm just going to wink at that? Yep. I was having a conversation with my dad last weekend. He brought up Psalm 50. And if you remember Psalm 50, God says to the wicked, you thought all this time that because I wasn't saying anything that I was fine with what you were doing. Well, now let's put that in the context. Who are the wicked he's talking to? Well, that's them heathen. That's those godless people that live in those, those parts of the world. No, he's talking to Israel. Yeah. And he divides them. He says, there are the righteous people, and here's what makes you righteous. And there are the wicked people, and here's what makes you wicked. And you wicked people thought that just because I didn't say anything, I approved of your lifestyle. Oh, you got another thought coming, buddy. That's modern version. But it's this thought that, well, you know, I, I don't have a conviction about it. I don't feel any, you know, I, I'm all right with this. Does not that, that does not equate to liberty, friend. Yep. We need a relationship with God's Word that allows us to have spiritual discernment. I, I don't remember who I was listening to just yesterday. Oh, I was listening to uh, John Piper. He was finishing the message that I had mentioned mm-hmm. where he gave this great illustration about how his house was right near the freeway where he lives. And after living there long enough, he doesn't even hear the sound anymore because he's gotten used to it. And the idea is how many of us have gotten used to God's Word, gotten used to the Bible. We can come set in church week after week after week, hear preaching, and it not stir us a bit because we've gotten used to it. We can sleep right through it. But he he was finishing out by talking about um, having that kind like how Peter says that we're to have that desire for the sincere milk of the word, that you may exercise your senses thereby, it literally means not senses like your eyes, your ears, but the sense of, it's like that sixth sense. It's a spidey sense. Yeah. It's a spiritual spidey sense. It's the understanding of good and evil, where there is no chapter and verse. He made the point, there are 99,000 decisions every day you have to make for which there is no chapter and verse. But the person who has loved God's Word and has fed on God's Word has developed the discernment to make the right decisions because they are nourished in the Scriptures. Yeah, And, And this is the way we overcome the doctrine of Balaam in our life. And so it matters to look at what is our relationship with the Bible. And this goes back to our conversation last week. And hearing God and yes. why this is... I planned that. A little connection. I'm just go. kidding. But, yeah. <laughs> but again, we're talking not necessarily book, chapter, and verse, but a life that is so immersed in God's Word 
that we have learned to know what the Bible is talking about, even though the Bible may not explicitly say it. Well, I think I want to close this. I want to just they're kind of like unconnected but connected, but these were some fantastic statements, and I'll use this as my parting words. Um, oh, by the way, it would be worth saying, you know how they got over the, the, the whole Doctrine of Balaam incident back then? Mm-mm. Numbers 25, it took a Phineas. Ah, Remember the that's story? right, and the javelin. Phineas <laughs> and the javelin walks into that tent and says, all right, you're going to pervert before God? Wham! Yeah. Who's next? And so it's going to take some... What is that? It's, what I mean is it's going to take some crucifying of our flesh. It's going to take some putting to death the members in our body that are leading us into stumbling. Jesus said, if your eye offended, pluck it out. If your hand offended, cut it off. Oh, man. So see, it's... it's Phineas, that bad boy. It's even more so than just... Oh, I feel bad about it. I acknowledge the wrong. But there's got to be some intentional action about mm-hmm. it. Let's get busy. Let's do something about it. Yeah. So two, here's the two statements I wanted to share. Martin Luther King Jr. is very under, very applicable in how we often have people that just dismiss things. They say, well, that's no big deal. Or they, they use the Bible to defend themselves versus let the Bible speak. He said, shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Let me read wow. that one more time. Yeah. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill. Do I put a parenthetic phrase in there and say, you know, a lot of people teach Sunday school and stand in pulpits and lead the church these days? Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating, I mean, it causes more hindrance, more stumbling block than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. And then one of our spiritual gurus that we love to read after Henry Nouwen said, I often wonder if my knowledge about God has not become my greatest stumbling block to my knowledge of God. Wow. you got to unlearn what you think you know. Absolutely. Yeah. I thought those were great statements, and I just had to get them squeezed in before we closed out today. But I hope this has been a helpful conversation to the listener and again, as we say often, if you've got some thoughts, um, questions, send us an email at the Way of Holiness Podcast at gmail.com. That's it. I got it right. 